Hi guys, and welcome to another edition of the Fight Site Crafty Boxing Podcast. I'm Lukash, as ever. And this week I'm talking about, of course, Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano. Probably, almost definitely, the biggest women's fight of all time. Whether it's, a, you know, I can't possibly say whether it's the best, it might be the highest level. Um, and I'm going to talk about Shakur Stevenson and his um, comfortable win over Oscar Valdez. I won't really be talking about anything else because I didn't really watch anything else. I watched a bit of uh, Smith versus Jesse Vargas, but I didn't watch the whole thing, and um, so I won't be going into that. Um, yeah, Taylor versus Serrano. It was a good fight. It was a very good fight. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't fight of the year because it's not as good as Conlon versus Wood. I can throw that out there. Um, the uh, I wanted to say, you know, uh, out of out from the start, because um, I've seen people saying, you know, this it wasn't as good as a lot of men's fight. You know, people I respect have been saying this. Um, they're, they're right that it, you know, on a technical level, it wasn't as good as a men's fight. Um, on the on the top level of equivalent, you know, high level men's boxing, and that's true. That's you know, it's going to be, I think, a while. Hopefully, it will happen, but it's going to be a while before women's boxing gets to the stage. Where the technical level, where the talent pool is at the level, you know, at, at where men's boxing is. But um, as a step forward, this was huge. Um, you know, first things first, the, atm- the atmosphere was incredible. And like, the first time I watched it, I didn't fully get the atmosphere because I watched it on the German zone, seeing as that's where I live. And you could tell, but it was a little bit muted. I'm pretty sure they weren't there. Um, they were watching it on the telly and commenting over that. But then, you know, if you if you saw it with the British commentary, the British commentary, the uh, the English commentary, um, which I went and sought out to to see what was going, on, you know, what was being talked about. Yeah, the atmosphere was incredible, and like, being in the building must have been amazing. Um, and you know, when you're watching a fight, even when you're watching one just on the telly or on the internet or whatever, the atmosphere does add a little something to a fight and the fight the atmosphere was incredible so you know Amanda Serrano and Katie Taylor got those, got all those people in the building and got, got the building hopping it was you know good stuff and the fight itself I would say it wasn't not the best fight of the year because of the technical level like the, the technical level of the two fighters here want to fight you know they're good fighters they're both good fighters by any standard um and a lot of you know a lot of the fighters fights that we remember as the greatest fighters of all time it weren't that high level like Gatti versus Ward wasn't that high well it wasn't a part there's nothing boxing wise that really you know neither Gatti nor Ward were all timers the th- reason for me and this is going to be probably controversial that it wasn't the fight of the year was that the majority of the time there was like a big back and forth in the middle but for me the best fights are the ones where there is a lot of little small not necessarily small but big swings of momentum back and forth back and forth throughout the fight and whether that's um, you know big swings in how the fighters are battering each other or the adjustments that fighters are making against each other I'm not going to go on about this too long don't worry Um, you know the technical adjustments but it's back and forth, back and forth. And here it was like one big swing, one way in the middle, and then back as Katie Taylor recovered. Um, yeah, just to start, throw out there, I scored the fight 7-3 to Taylor. Um, and 
I mean, from what I saw, I would find it difficult to score at any closer than 6-4, although you could score... I don't know, some people were saying you could score the um, the round five out of 10-8. Um, I think there's a strong argument to make that you... that boxing should score that kind of round as a 10-8, but you don't generally see... Like, it would have to be bell-to-bell bell the kind of... For me, for me to be... For that to be a 10-8 for me, it would have to be bell-to-bell bell the kind of thing that was at the end of the round, like with Taylor hanging on, um, or at the end, just complete and utter humiliation. The 10-8 without a knockdown, I don't have it very often. And I think it would have to be more extreme than that, but, uh, you know, I, c- I can see it. Um, but in any case, I can't really see a route to an Amanda Serrano victory, but apparently other people saw it otherwise. And uh, it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't that big of a hiding that... Uh, I think that's ridiculous. It's just, you know, for me, the first three rounds, um, Katie Taylor, um, and now I'm going to get into my technical technical nitty-gritty, Katie Taylor came really prepared. And um, this was something, it was something that I mentioned in my preview that um, Katie Taylor had to be careful because as a pro, she's tended to chase forward and... um, try to throw high volume combinations and chase them and overbalance and be basically end up off balance and more static than uh, than she would have been if she'd uh, if she just um, you know if she just sat on her punches or whatever properly um, she was you know trying to do that thing where she's trying to move her feet and sit down on punches at the same time it's never good, never a good idea um, and in this fight um, thankfully for her, at least for the most part, she. Um, I mean, I think it's basically she decided, okay, I don't need to go chasing the punches here because Amanda Serrano is going to come to me, so I don't need to go running after her. Um, and that worked in her favour for through the majority of the fights, definitely in the first three rounds, um, because Taylor kept within herself and she did throw the, her combinations and things, but. Um, but she was never really going over her front foot in the early, you know. She was um she was boxing and moving really nicely, keeping her balance um, in a way that uh, that was basically always true of her as an amateur, and that she hasn't always done as a pro. She um, so she's she kept that in her toolbox. It isn't something that completely eroded away. Although I'll come to that in around four and five in a second. Um, but she was able to do that. She um she jabbed, I would say, because in my preview I said that um. Her jab is an empty threat, by which I meant basically, if you could, if you if Taylor jabbed you, uh, jabs you, and you step through it, um, there isn't going to be much follow-ups. And that was still kind of true, um, but firstly, the jab itself was disrupting Serrano. I wouldn't say necessarily hurting, but it was um, it's obviously doing that, you know, some kind of damage. Um, but um, yeah, because she wasn't, um, because she was focused on moving, it was there was it, that op- that opening wasn't really there because Taylor would jab and move, jab and move properly, not get herself caught up trying to, you know, trying to be this money puncher. She had, uh, yeah, she basically she. Um, yeah, there was an opportunity to chase behind it for Serrano to come in behind Taylor's jab. It just wasn't, she just wasn't moving fast enough. Which I think, you know, was the story of a lot of the fight. Was um, 
Serrano does things technically technically correct in what she does, but she has, um, yeah, she just isn't that fast a mover. And um, her problem in the first three rounds was she was able to push Taylor into the corners, but she was never able to enter the ropes. But she was never able to close up on her in those you know in those earlier rounds. She was never able to close up on her while she would say it was really easy for Taylor to get out. Um, she didn't have that extra step across that you need. If you're a pressure fighter, um, that little extra, just the little corner cutting and the, the hooks and things to, to cut off the escapes, that wasn't really there for her. And then around four, um, so Taylor, for me, Taylor won the first three. Like, they weren't wide rounds and the punches uh, landed, I believe, were pretty equal, but um, but I saw Taylor winning those fairly, that for me, it was, wasn't particularly difficult um, score in those, on those ones. So just one little detail I should add because it becomes little relevant later on um, is I think it did become true um, something I thought might early on um, you know, before when in my preview I thought might become um, a factor is that Taylor is bigger than Serrano I mean you can see that in the weigh-ins you can see that um, when they're standing head-to-head they're about the same height but Taylor's just a bit more just chunky around the arms and the shoulders and all of that and um and the thing is, Serrano in the clinch knows what she's doing, um, but Taylor was just, especially in the early early rounds, um, was just able. Like um, there were a couple of times when when Serrano managed to get into clinching range with Taylor, and she just span her around like really quickly, span her around, and either sort of she's kind of more. She wasn't really, she wasn't. I mean, she was spoiling. She wasn't hugging. She was, you know, mourning, clinching, getting punches when she could, but it wasn't. It wasn't really the aim of the game. The aim of the game was to be separated and get them to to, to distance. Not and um, and yeah, that was part of Serrano's problem. Um, when you're slower and less strong, there's um, you know even if you have the actual power advantage, which you did, um, it's difficult to get things home. Um, then around forty, she did start to do much better. She did start to manage to um, she managed to close push Katie Taylor to the ropes much more consistently in round four and um and to hold her in front of her to um to avoid taylor stepping you know to, there was a moment in the, like, right at the beginning of the third round where taylor wrestled her around again and pushed serrano to the ropes but other than that taylor did start to find it more difficult to just shove her away um to shove her when she wanted to um i would say um that the jab thing i just mentioned um just going back to look at the beginning of round uh of round um, five now, um, I think that did come into play. I think that became something that Serrano was working on in round four, and, for, um, and it really paid off in round five. That um, that she would just work Taylor with jab, and Serrano would counter over the jab, behind the jab, step in behind the jab, and um, and that made it more difficult for Taylor. Um, you know, even when the initial shot didn't land, she'd keep following, keep following, and. Um, and I mean, I think Taylor first of all, first of all started to get flustered. Like there was an exchange early on in the um, fourth round where, yeah, basically um, the first Taylor had previously thrown a couple of jabs and got countered off it, and so she basically tried to exchange fire with fire. She saw Serrano coming. She's you know she kind of faked a jab, and um, but it wasn't really very convincing. I mean, I don't know what she was trying to achieve by faking a jab given that she had decided that um, 
that Serrano was following the jab in. And then she tried to, well, I mean, I guess she was trying to make her think nothing was going to come back. But, um, yeah, even though she has faster hands, she was going to lose that exchange. She didn't seem quite, you know, she seemed, seemed flustered. She seemed to get flustered by, by Serrano working over her jab. And in round five, that started to really, um, really show that Taylor decided basically. I mean, it's, a, it's a, not a bad decision on its own to try to scare off a volume pressure fighter with volume of your own, if you can do it correctly. Because um, if you can, you know, if you can, can make them wary of you, it's sometimes worth that calculated risk because, um, you know, for a fighter like Taylor, um, versus Serrano it's much much worse for Tirana, Serrano if she can't if she then starts hesitating about coming in so it's, it was kind of worth a shot but um, she didn't do it with a cool head Taylor um, and sort of initially in the first sort of 40 seconds of the fifth round um, I think Serrano had her trapped in the corner and that was sort of maybe paradoxically safer for Taylor because um, she was being pushed back but she wasn't she had, she kept herself stable. Like she was pushing into the corner, but she wasn't like reeling or anything. Um, so she was taking shots and she was giving shots, and she was losing the exchanges. Don't get me wrong; like she shouldn't have been doing it, but she wasn't really getting hurt. And then I can't really tell um, whether it was good work by Serrano or a mistake by Taylor or just something that just happened. Um, but they moved into the centre of the ring with Taylor. You know, they started off. Serrano had her on the ropes and they were sort of clinched up a bit and stuff and they just started moving Serrano started moving backwards um, and I don't know whether she got pushed back or whether she decided that she was going to do this but that was proved to be a really good decision for her because um, as I alluded to earlier when Taylor's chasing combinations she tends to overbalance and that's exactly what happened um, she was chasing the combinations and she was t- chasing the clinch as well you can see there's one particular shot where she's trying to throw sort of an overhand, sort of loopy overhand to right. Um, and she just comes too far with it. And Taylor's constantly, um, Serrano was constantly sort of countering it. And, you know, there were also a few times when she tried to grab and hold and Serrano slid back a little and punished her for it. Um, it was just, uh, she couldn't get her balance in that round. Um, yeah, she got a bit of a pace to him. And, um, this is one where we talk about the three-minute rounds um, of women's boxing, which I'm generally in favour of. Um, and the conversation here would be that um, if the round had gone on a little bit longer, that Taylor would have been knocked out. And that's a fair shout that uh, that may well have happened. But I think it's also worth noting that quite possibly she was already beginning to have punched herself out because even though she won round six completely dominantly and Taylor was not recovered um, round five completely dominantly and Taylor was not recovered um, and I don't think Taylor recovered without reading for the rest of the fight um, I can watch it later on so I'll talk about it in a bit but, um, but I don't think she was re- not fully recovered um, so the volume in round six Serrano won round, won round six obviously but the volume was already much more equal. Like she wasn't overwhelming Taylor, and um, and Taylor was able to sort of um, find a little bit of distance. Like it still wasn't the fight that she wanted, but um, but yeah, Serrano wasn't sort of relentlessly chasing her down like you would have thought she would might have been, given how uh, hurt 
Taylor had been a few minutes, you know, just a minute previous, and how hurt she still clearly was. Uh, so I think that was the first sign of Serrano just having overcooked it, trying to chase the finish. Um, yeah, and round six, round um, round seven, sort of started, kept following that pattern. Like round, se- uh, round seven was really a lot more recall. Um, and then, um, you know, I thought Taylor essentially won rounds eight, nine, and ten, which um, rounds eight and nine came back very similarly to the patterns of the first two. Um, the first three rounds or so with um with sort of Lorano struggling to close the distance and Taylor like Taylor did really well. Like after the initial panic, Taylor did really well to um to get herself back to doing what she needed to be doing and to not get you know, to not be being flustered by the pressure. And I think she did really well because like I said just a second ago, I don't think she fully recovered at all. I think she might have bust an eardrum or something, because there were a few times when just moving she stumbled like she fell over. Um, not for not fell over, but she nearly fell. Um, she wobbled quite significantly, just turning, pivoting, moving, you know. Um, and that kind of, ten, you know, tends to be the sign of a busted eardrum. It, you know, obviously, if you're concussed, you'll do that anyway. But I think if you're concussed, you it's much more constant. Like, you can't fully... All of your movements are compromised. And I don't think that was the case with Taylor. Like, um, you know, her hand speed was good. Her, all of that was still there. Her volume was fine. She was just, uh, she was just walking. Maybe it was another injury. Maybe it was something else. Maybe she was concussed. Like who the fuck knows? I mean, she would. Um, I, I can't possibly know. That's just what I thought I saw. Um, and yeah, so rounds um, eight and nine were, you know, basically a rougher, more tired variation of what was happening in the early rounds. And this goes back to the theme I have of. Um, in previous podcasts, you would have heard me talk about this if you listened to them. Of um, fighters need to know how to fight tired, and I think Taylor clearly did. And um, Serrano, you know, she's fought hard before. She has had lots of uh, experience fighting ten rounders and all of that. Um, and she hit it well, um, but I think she was struggling to get her game plan home. And I think that really showed in round ten because in round ten, she did manage to again force much more direct exchanges and they started throwing down in the centre of the room and that might just be this final round thing whatever let's go uh, from Taylor but um, I don't really see it so I do think Serrano sort of pushed her into it again but in the exchanges in the last round and this is the reason I ended up giving the last round to Taylor is that um, a lot of Serrano's punches in that round like um, throughout the fight and this is Serrano's one of Serrano's big positives is that her form her punching form is really good and this is something that uh, that woman's boxing is still trying to reach consistency on there aren't even even Kate, like us you know talking about earlier Katie Taylor falling over chasing combinations um, she's not great at sitting down on her power shots and keeping the form um, all the time Taylor not always um, Serrano is so when she started, you know, if you watch the final round, some of her punches, they just turned into arm punches. Like she's really good at delivering the power and she wasn't in that round. Um, and I think some of it was that Taylor, whether it was whether it was by design or whether Taylor herself got a bit tired and decided she actually couldn't move as much anymore and needed to trade. Um, but Taylor got herself much more focused in these exchanges um, and she just basically, she started pushing Serrano back while Serrano was punching and Serrano 
is evidently not really that equipped to deal with this and she couldn't punch she couldn't really keep her power while being forced backwards and it, yeah she got forced out of out of her form this is the thing that I've talked about um, like I say I've talked about it before um, you good form is good you love to have good form you need to know what to be able to do if your form isn't right and Serrano just kind of like it, it, I don't want to denigrate her too much because she held her own and it was close you know I scored the final round for Taylor but it's not like she melted or fell apart um, but the reason I scored the final round for Taylor was that even though Taylor's you know her power isn't destructive she's not like this huge uh, blow three people puncher but um it's not one punch puncher, but she was delivering tight combinations that were setting Serrano on her heels. And Serrano's answers were sort of wide, swingy, not very powerful, stoppy. They were, you know, in combination, but they weren't doing a lot um, by that stage for me. Um, and that happened because, yeah, because she didn't have her feet set right and she didn't really know how to recover into her right positions. And again, you know, they were tired, they were both tired and it might have been, you know, when she was less tired, she was doing it properly and then she just didn't have the focus to do it. But, um, but that's ultimately why I scored the chance for Taylor. In any case, it was a good fight. Um, I think the right person won. I'd like to see a rematch. Um, I would like to see a rematch given 12 rounds and uh, three minutes because that would change the complexion of it entirely. Um, and yeah, it was not good. You know, Katie Taylor said after the fight that um, that Taylor versus Serrano is going to take over Ali versus um, Fraser as the um, as the Madison Square Gardens fight that everyone thinks of. Like, clearly, that isn't going to be true. That that's not. Yeah, whatever. But you know, she's excited. She's um, she's just like, listened to the noise in that arena and you know, imagine being the person who that noise, half of that noise was for. Um, so I don't really, you know, whatever. Um, but it is an important fight. Um, for women's boxing, going forward, you know, that is now going to be the aspiration. Um, and it might not come through, you know, there, there are fighters coming through now. There was um, a couple uh, earlier on the card. Um, like I'm a really big fan of Sky Nicholson. Like, um, I'm developing into a really big fan of Sky Nicholson, let's put it that way. Like, I really like the way she boxes. Um, and there's other fighters coming up. Um, but it'll be a while before the field is full um, but a fight like the one we just saw will inspire women and girls um, to go you know to go down the gym to stick with it um, like that, that that fight is going to be aspirational for a lot of girls for a lot of young women um, you know de debating whether they want to be in the fight culture and the gym culture and all of that um, it's also going to be just on a purely practical level um, let's be brutally honest some of the reasons why um where women fighters don't get the coaching to the level that uh, the male equivalents do um, is just going to be that um, that coaches have to eat too and um, they're not the paydays they get from the coaching uh, women aren't going to be as consistently good as, a, as from coaching men and the more attention there is on women's boxing the more women are going to be able to persuade good coaches to work with them. And hopefully we'll also see more women coaches, but that's going to be, I think, a next generation thing. Um, you know, there are already more good women coaches, but then, but then pushing into the sort of professional spaces is going to take a, 
it's, this is going to be a thing that has to be worked on. And that's why I don't mind, you know, I don't mind this focus on women, you know, on the top level women's fights, even though, you know, the women's divisions tend to be shallower and, you, you know, you do have to see the top level women boxers fighting people who don't really belong in the room with them and, you know, it does seem like a bit of a mockery. But we need to do that and we need to push these stars and build these stars. And if you keep doing that, you know, it will come good, you know, hopefully. Uh, if it's organised properly, like I can't say for 100% it will. Um, but it can come good. Um, and, uh, yeah, basically what I'm trying to say here is that this fight right here is going to be what a lot of people are going to point to um, as their inspiration for not necessarily just getting into the sport, but um, for pushing through for, you know, when the tough times get hard. Um, but... Uh, but we can be there too. You know, we can headline the biggest, not biggest, but the most famous boxing arena in the world. Um, one of the best atmospheres that's ever hit it. You know, why not? Um, so yeah, I enjoyed that fight. I, I'm glad it happened. Um, and uh, if you haven't seen it, you should go and watch it. Um, okay, other than that, like I say, I'm not going to go deep in, I'm not going into the other card at all. Um, you know, um, Liam Smith versus uh, Jesse Vargas, Liam Smith. Liam Smith won that fight with him. You know, he was sort of, he started slowly, got back into it. It just tends to be the thing that um, that Smith does. He's a, he keeps himself compact and uh, together and uh, does the simple things well. And um, you know, if an opponent starts to get tired and fall apart, he'll take over. Um, if you make mistakes, he'll capitalise. And he ended up with the referee stoppage in, I think it was the 10th round. Um, you know, from what I saw, it was a decent fight and, uh, and it's probably worth seeking out. But, um, you know, it was a sort of crossroads end of career fight for the both of them. And so Smith will be hoping for a future chance at a world title, possibly without that much hope, but we'll see. Um, and yeah, like I say, um, Sky Nicholson um, on the undercard as a fighter. That I enjoy, and this was supposed to be a step up for her, and it wasn't. I mean, it was, but um, she won it comfortably. There was also another women's fight um, between French and Cruz de Zern and um, Elin Cederus, um but I just haven't been able to see that yet, so uh, so I can't comment on it at all. Um, de Zern is one who lost um, to Clarissa Shields in her own pro debut, and you know they both debuted, so. Um, so, you know, she's she's been in with a high level and lost, but um anyway, yeah. That's uh I just haven't seen it, can't comment on it. So I'm gonna move on to Shakur Stevenson against yeah, against Oscar Valdez. And it was a very good performance by Stevenson. Like I said, um that uh you know he should win, but if he wins comfortably, it he'll be really one that would be when you really have to sort of set up and take notice of him as a not in the pound for pound top 10 um, I'll get to this after the fight um, but as a guy who should be capable of making it um, you know if he uh, if he beats Oscar Valdez comfortably and uh, he did in the end um, there was still one or two things that he has to work on but um, but he won it fairly fairly um, well, very comprehensively um and what I would say is that um, I did sort of see people, especially, I mean, I didn't watch this live because it was the middle of the night for me and I had to get up, so um, I caught up on it later. Um, 
I had seen people commenting that uh, that it was a bit boring and it wasn't very exciting. And I don't know if that, that may have been a combination of you sort of go in expecting a Stevenson fight to be boring, maybe, and of it following up Taylor versus Serrano, which was much more, you know, more of a direct contest with more volume thrown and all of that. Um, but this wasn't the Stevenson that we saw against Nakathila. Where he, you know, where it's the Stevenson that I was worried about earlier in his career, um, of just kind of keeping away at all costs. Um, this wasn't that guy. Like there were times when he did still, you know, disappear and just not engage. Um, but I said in the build-up in my preview that uh, that the key for him would be to somewhat hold the ring and punish Valdez as he approached and then move and that is what he was doing you know, he was stepping in holding holding the ground um, making it very difficult for Valdez to approach him rather than him being the one fleeing and punishing him as he approached and he, you know he wasn't throwing huge volume but he was throwing combinations at his head you know head and body um, and uh, and yeah it just made it very difficult for Valdez to close distance safely rather than make it very difficult for Valdez to close distance at all um, he had a huge speed advantage he's very very good at timing um, his jab is you know he's, basically everything he does is nice um, you know if if there was a failure he still if there is a thing he still has to work on it is still that uh, there were a few times when Valdez was able to throw some few unorthodox combinations and um and Stevenson did get sort of caught. Like he, I think he does need to add an extra layer to his inside game before he gets in with the guys who are really going. You know, he's he's calling out Lomachenko. Like who knows if Lomachenko will ever fight again? Um, but that would be a real big. That would be a really big test for both. I'll talk about it briefly at the end. Um, but um, but yeah, the, the kind of little shots that uh, Valdez was able to catch him with, but not able to capitalize on would be, uh, you know, there will be fighters who can punish that sort of thing much more. But getting those opportunities against Stevenson will be really tough because he's just really... Um, he's just really tidy and really fast and has really good timing and um, really precise. And um, he's going to be difficult. Like, you know, I still think he's a little, you know, maybe a tiny little bit straight line, a tiny little bit prone to bouncing off in, you know, um, in disengaging not very cleverly but it's you know at this point these are tiny things they were huge they were big problems for him a few fights ago and now they're not so he's clearly working on them directly um and that's you know that was always a good sign a fighter who identifies his own weaknesses and works on them um uh, uh you know as he's developing that's always a good sign for as they move up the levels because you know look at canelo alvarez um right now he's close to perfect you know I will still raise Lee Wiley's eye by um, by saying he's a little bit slow of foot but he never makes mistakes with his feet anymore and he used to make mistakes with his feet all the damn time and he just focused on those mistakes fix what he needed to fix and I think Stevenson should hopefully be aware enough of what he needs to be doing and look he's always going to be a fighter who isn't going to be for everyone um, just you know that kind of back foot fighter always is and uh and yeah, because he is, because he is keeping range, even though, you know, it's now hold ground, punish, step away. He is, you know, he is, uh, 
he's not trying to engage he's not trying to let the other guy get into the pocket so that he can dance in the pocket he's not trying to do that um, and um, you know some people just will always have a problem with that and that can lead to bad fights um, I don't think this was one of them I think this was pretty, you know it wasn't it wasn't a war it wasn't something that's going to go down in classics, classic history but it was a good good fight um, you know a good fight it was a good performance and it was fun. I found it fun to watch um yeah, I can't really say too much more just because um, it was too one-sided for that. Um, and well, Stevenson, you know, he was doing lots of nice things. They were just really bread and butter things. I don't know. Oh, this made me sound loopy. <laughs> make me sound like I've got nothing to say. Um, yeah, he was, um, you know, he just does all the things you want him to do as a young fighter. Um, um, yeah, and he's also got a streak, a mean streak in him that... Uh, will probably get him more audience than people who don't like him want to give credit for. Uh, there was a moment right at the end of the, right at the end of the fight, there was a moment where um he literally he did literally just run away. Like he turned around and started running and celebrating and uh, you know, mugging to the crowd before the bell rang. Um and Valdez was just sort of chasing after him. And um you know that kind of thing is not gonna do him to people but it'll get people engaged. Um but anyway, yeah. So let's talk. Yeah, let's let's talk about some of what did what he did do. Um, which was, I talked about him punishing and leaving, but he did also draw Valdez on. That was what the knockdown happened. Um, was it round six? Um, where he yeah, basically he um he drew Valdez on. Valdez, Valdez was getting desperate, and um and yeah, and this is sort of adding to the. Um, you know, my criticism of being a bit straight-lined, this is a sort of a counter to that, because he, this is called the knockdown, but basically Matador and Valdez. And so it may, you know, so maybe that the straight-linedness becomes bait. It may already be that it's bait, because that's certainly what it looked like for the knockdown. Um, where basically he let Valdez charge at him, span around the last second. He barely contacted him, really, with punch. I mean, it was, it was a knockdown, um, but... Um, but he just basically let Valdez's own momentum take him over, ultimately. Um, and he, I mean, yeah, like, I'm struggling to find, you know, really interesting things to say, so I'm not going to talk about too much more. Um, I just hope he gets a really good test next. Like, um, the fighter, if he's going to stay at 130, um, at 135, one, no, 130, if he's going to stay at 130, um, you know, he's got the two unifications, um, Neither of which I think offers him a challenge. I don't think Shavkat Rakimov offers him a genuine challenge either. But I would enjoy seeing that fight because I think Rakimov has the footwork. You know, he has a sort of Loma Light style. Um, and that would be good practice for Stevenson. And, uh, you know, it should be a good, uh, a fun fight. Um, it's got to be said, um, as I'm recording this, um, that... Uh, one of the immediate options for unification is, you know, it would have to, he can't fight Kenichi Okada immediately because um, Okada has just announced that he's fighting Jay Cordina, which is a fight that I like. Um, I like Jay Cordina as a boxer. Um, he's very tidy. Um, his, his career's been stalled a bit for for ages, but um, I'm glad to see him getting his chance. And then beside the point, the point is that uh, Shikor Stevenson will obviously not fight Ogawa. Um, sort of at the other end of summer because Ogawa's fighting in June. Um, so if that was to happen, you know, it either 
if that was going to be the implication of the winner of that, it would be more in autumn. But we'll see how that shakes out. Um, but yeah, you know, I'd like I say, I'd like to see him fight Rakimov just because I like that style matchup as a preview and practice for Stevenson. Um, that might, you know, even though I don't think Stevenson's going to really has any serious chance of losing to Rakimov, if he is going to stay at the division at the weight, um, that's the kind of the one that, uh, that I think gives him something he hasn't really faced before as a pro. Um, um, yeah, but, um, yeah, so of course Stevenson, he's just, you know, I'm going to talk about him sort of pound for pound. Um, some people sort of edging, maybe putting one pound for pound for this already. Not for me. I would point out that, um, you know, I would say that's recency, recency bias. Um, that he's got one good win over a really good fighter. Um, and yeah, it was number one in the division. It's not the strongest division. Um, I would say there are a couple of other young fighters that have good wins over maybe equal, you know, the, um, Sonny Edwards over Methalane um, and um, Jesse Rodriguez over Quadras in particular. I, I would say I would say Quadras is a better fighter than Valdez. Um, Methalane, hard to say exactly with his age, but probably also, um, and, you know, maybe, maybe those two, I mean, Bam looked fantastic against Quadras, you know. So, yeah, I think those two guys were at least equal. They both have wins. Um, you know, they're both similar sort of stage in their careers and they both have wins um, equally as impressive. Um, and there are also other guys, um, you know, Roman Gonzalez could be in top 10, having beaten uh, Martinez and, you know, this big stack of resume that he's got. And, you know, you know there's, I wouldn't put Stevenson in top 10 just yet, but it does prove that he's capable of getting there, like um, that he's got the talent to be a pound for pound top tenner if the cards fall right, if the right fights get made. Um, and, you know, I'd be excited to see that happen. I would quite like to see him move up because he would be an interesting player at, um, at 135. Um, but, you know, he may want to unify the divisions, uh, the division. That's always a good thing to have on a resume. So uh, we'll see. Yeah, other than that, um, that's the, that's all I'm going to talk about this week. I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to talk about the undercard because I didn't watch any of the undercard on that fight. Um, you know, that, I hope this, I mean, it, I'll say it makes me sound unprofessional. I'm not professional. I have to go to work. I have to do, you know, do shit. I haven't got all the free time in the world. So sometimes there are going to be weeks and especially with the health problems that I've been sort of hearing and hearing about. Um, yeah, there are going to be times when I just can't watch everything. Um, so apologies for that, but it is what it is. Um, next week, there's only really one thing happening. It's Canelo versus Bivol. So Canelo, always a big fight. Bivol, I'm not a huge fan of Bivol, but he is really good. So um, it's probably the best fight Canelo's had for a while. So definitely, you know, definitely tune in for that. And I'll definitely try to have something out um, on Thursday, Friday. Um, Other than that, you know, follow me on Nightcrafty Boxing um, on Twitter. Follow the fight site at the fight site, clearly. Um, follow our Patreon. Get in the Patreon, uh, get in the Discord, you know, for all our little uh, shooting the shit on the fights and uh, about pretty much everything else, really. Um, and then, you know, as a patron, you get access to our exclusive content as well. Um, and other than that, see you next time.